Heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports in the Hoodwood for November 10th, 2022. Coming up this week, Pick of the Strolls, win it all. Does this erase the stigma of 17, and does this make them a dynasty? Take a look in the inside Astros World Series win. The mess that the Brooklyn Nets have become. Firing Steve Nash, suspending Kyrie Irving, hiring Ime Udoka. We'll take an investigation and a deep dive. Look at NFL Week 10 picks. Did pretty good last week. Wonder if I can keep it going. The Hoodwood Hot Five has a big shakeup in the poll. We'll look at what teams have moved up and around. Also have Fat Dap, Head Slap, and a final word from the Wood on the abject failure of Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. All that and so much more. It's called Sports from the Hoodwood. Put on your crash helmet, buck your seatbelt, and get ready, because here we go. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood. The internet's foremost location for the most honest, unfiltered commentary and insight on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, K.J. Green. Greetings from the Hoodwood, where the Hoodwood Hound is just a little bit salty that you got got to pick right. He says I'm lucky, I say I'm good. But we both agree, glad that Dusty Baker came out as world champion World Series champion with the 22 Astros. I'm your man, KJ Green. Welcome you back to another exciting edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. And right off the top, like I said, Snuffy's happy about it. I am too. Dusty Baker leads the Houston Astros to their second world title. First, if you want to throw an asterisk on the 17 title. But winning the 2022 World Series over a game, Philadelphia Phillies team in six games. Like somebody called it just a couple of weeks ago. But I won't get into that and I won't brag about it too much. The thing is, the Astros won the World Series fair and square with timely pitching, timely hitting, everything right on time. They just did what they had to do after taking a a punch, a really good punch, blowing a five-run lead in game one of the World Series, but then winning four of the next five with solid pitching, a combined no-hitter in Game 5 that I think pretty much took all the, the wind out of the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies' sails. Once they found out, they really weren't going to have that much to do, even though they did take a Game 6 lead, but then came back, the Astros came back with a three-run homer in the 7th, another home run in the 8th, and that was pretty much all she wrote for Game 6 on Saturday night. The Astros winning the World Series in six games, and the, the the two questions that are still real apparent here, does this erase the stigma of the 2017 World Series, which a lot of baseball purists say that the Astros really didn't earn because they cheated their way to winning the title? Now, of course, Major League Baseball isn't going to just wipe out the 17 series or give it to the Dodgers because it, it's really punitive and it really doesn't make any sense. Now, the 2022 squad, only five players from that 17 squad are still on that 22 squad. Now, there are a couple key players, Jose Altuve and Justin Verlander, to name a couple. But this 2022 squad, totally different from that 2017 squad. And they played like gangbusters, winning 106 games in the world in the regular season, sweeping through the AL playoffs losing only two games overall in the playoffs, and both those games were in the World Series. They went 11-2 in the postseason, charged their way through the playoffs, and I think are a legitimate World Series champ. You can't take this away from them, especially with somebody like Dusty Baker, who is highly respected in baseball circles and has won, as I detailed uh, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, he's won everywhere he's went. Frisco, Chicago, he even made Cincinnati good, Washington made them a contender, and then after he retired, was kind of pushed out by by the Nationals, hadn't been managing for a couple of years, the Astros brought him in, 
no one, I think, in baseball had higher credibility than Dusty Baker. They knew they were going to play the game the right way, and he wasn't going to brook any kind of this silliness and cheating or anything or trying to cheat. And the Astros basically tore everybody up. They they did make the World Series last year, falling to the Atlanta Braves and what many people thought was an upset. But this year, they knew what they had to do. They filled out. They finished the job getting the World Series ring in six games. And you have to wonder, is this a high watermark for the Phillies? Can they come back and win another NL pennant and get back to the World Series after coming so close? Bryce Harper ain't getting any younger. I mean, he's still a young man. He's still on the fair side of 30. But you have to wonder, can they put the elements together to take it all the way? And, and, the Astros showed that winning the World Series is not easy. I mean, they have won a lot of games. And, and the, the the question of, is this a dynasty? The, 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 the uh, Astros won an average over the last six years, 98 wins over every 162 games played. Now, that's a pretty high number, considering that the Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, Atlanta Braves, they, have, they won 100 per 162 in their best six-year um, pocket but they only won one world title. The Jeter era New York Yankees, they had 99.9 wins over a six-year period in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. The Earl Weaver Baltimore Orioles, they uh, did 98.8. The Big Red Machine of the 70s, late set, mid to late 70s, they topped out at 99.1. The Astros have won triple digits three times in this in the six-year uh, span. They've made... Four, they made three World Series. This is a good, if not great team, but they finally cashed it in by winning a world title, winning a World Series that no one can take away from them. And that's the truth. It's a mess. And... Snuffy is making a reference to an old Beastie Boys tune, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. But there is going to be no sleep in Brooklyn for quite a while, given the messy situation that the Brooklyn Nets have become. Steve Nash, out after seven games as the Nets head coach, finishing with a 94-67 and record, which, in baseball terms, wouldn't be too bad. 94-67 over 161 games pretty much get you in the playoffs. But as a head coach, given the immense talent that that team has had, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons and for a while James Harden before Ben Simmons was traded from Philadelphia, this team was a notorious underachiever. But did that mean Steve Nash needed to get the gate? I think Sean Marks, the general manager who has created this Frankenstein type of team, is the one that needs to be blamed. Steve Nash, easy scapegoat. Former player, the players openly campaigned for him to get the job. But now, it seems that he's the scapegoat. A blame, someone to blame for their poor start. But Steve Nash couldn't shoot the ball. Ben Simmons sure doesn't want to. Steve Nash can't play defense. Seems like the Nets have an aversion to that. Steve Nash didn't put make Kyrie Irving shoot his mouth off and get suspended. No, but he's a convenient scapegoat. And that lie, therein lies the problem. Kyrie Irving got suspended five games for, in the Nets' words, conduct unbecoming to the team. Whether you agree or disagree with what Kyrie Irving is immaterial. The fact that he said something so inflammatory that he needed to be suspended is just a problem into itself. This is a dysfunctional team. And firing the coach ain't going to do any good. Now, the Nets compound their messy situation by now rumors are have it that suspended 
Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka may be in line to get the job. Now, Udoka has ties to the Nets. He was an assistant coach under Nash for, for his first year, for Nash's first year. Then he moved to Boston, took them to the finals last year where they lost to the Warriors. But after the scandal, the uh, inappropriate conduct with a Celtic staffer, Udoka was suspended. The Celtics, more than willing to get one and get rid of Udoka, they want to be free of the situation altogether. They're more or less telling the Nets, you want him, you take him. We don't want him. We ain't got to pay him. We ain't got to do nothing. Bye. Go on. Will Udoka bring stability to the Nets? I don't think so. Though Udoka, no one's questioning his credibility as coach. No one is uh, questioning his credentials, his credibility, his ability to relate to players. The players, to a man, have all said that they like Udoka. They think he's a good coach. And had there not been some sort of scandal going on, Udoka coaching the Nets would be an absolute goldmine. But it was a scandal that made Udoka a, an available candidate. And you think that the Nets, seeing someone who is relatable to the players or someone that they think is a younger, better version that they weren't going to try to shoo Steve Nash out the door so they could pounce on Udoka and make him their coach. It's a sad situation. It really is. And the thing is this. It does not solve the problem of the dysfunction that the Brooklyn Nets are. Kevin Durant whined and complained that he didn't want uh, he didn't want to play back in Brooklyn again, and at least not under Steve Nash. Kyrie Irving hemmed and hard if he was going to play. Ben Simmons still can't shoot free throw to save his life. But that's, but that's immaterial, Simmons. The Brooklyn Nets are a dysfunctional team. And they're not going to win anything big, especially not in the hyper-competitive uh, NBA Eastern Conference. That's a man's conference. I'm not saying that the West is soft. But you can't get into the playoffs, or at least a decent seed, with a Coke and a smile. It's not going to happen. And Udoka has a, I mean, he got in early. It's still November. And the Nets are still very much sal salvageable. But I still think that the, the dysfunction of the team, of the players, is not going to be fixed by changing coaches. And Sean Marks had better hope that Udoka can take the Nets to the finals. Not the conference finals, the NBA finals. Might be out of a job himself. Let's take a time out. Come back with the NFL Week 10 picks. I got 10 right Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. plug somebody and I usually don't plug folks that often let me move over here and look at that Pam's Dog Academy now Snuffy is one that likes 
to watch YouTube videos. So does Princess Jazzy. So do I on occasion. But I ran across, and it was a funny thing, and when I let me wander a little bit with the story. I take my shows usually once a week, usually get it done on Wednesday. I've been kind of pushing it on Thursday as of lately. I got a notice from YouTube saying that I had a copyright violation, and I'm going, what are you talking about? The music's original, I don't use any footage. It's just me rattling in the microphone for anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes. I get a notice saying that I was using someone's footage, and I'm like, uh, excuse me? Someone had lodged a complaint against me. Me? I'm on an offensive. I don't bother anybody. Snuffy bothers nobody. We're just two guys that's on the mic, and we rock the mic, we rock the mic, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I digress. Anyway, I get a notice saying that I had violated some copyright. So I reached out to the person who lodged the copyright, and they said that I had was that they had been notified that I had been using their dog training footage, which I hadn't, and I showed them the the whole clip in question, which was just me running off the mouth. So they took the complaint down, and I had a very nice dialogue with a dog training academy, a lady who, who does uh, dog training videos. Now, Princess Jazzy has a new dog. Her name is Bluey, and she's been watching the videos as well to learn how to get the, the dog, who's a blue healer, to basically sit and stay. So, I am giving my full Hoodwood endorsement to Pam's Dog Academy. The videos are on YouTube. Check them out. They've uh, graciously uh, talked to us, and we've talked to them, and they are a full, they are the official dog trainer of the Hoodwood. So now that we have that, now, without further ado, we will go on to the picks. And now, let's get on with the Week 10 NFL picks. I like to think that the week starts better when I get the Thursday night pick right. And another solid week was had. Thank goodness we went 10-3 this week. Very good. There are still some games I just could not figure out. I mean, the Packers, Pratt, Fall, and Motown. The Bills were 13-point favorites in Gotham and fell apart. And the Raiders... I knew the Raiders were going to make a fool out of me if I picked them, and I knew the Jags were going to make a fool out of me if I picked them too. So it's one of those things you just kind of take it, and, but there's little time to dwell on that as there are more picks to be made. So your for your perusal, approval, and review, we now present the Week 10 NFL picks, as, and the odds are provided by ESPN for entertainment and comparison purposes only. I say that because... Though I do have a little cheddar in my pocket now, I don't have any to spare you if you bet the lines and lose. So please note that the Patriots, Bengals, Raven, Ravens, and Jets are on their respective buys this week. Let's start off with the Thursday night game. Thursday night game is the 4-5 and five Falcons taking on the 2-7 and seven Panthers at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 8-15 kickoff on Amazon Prime. The Falcons are three-point favorites. Last week, the Falcons... Uh, lost to the Chargers 20 to 17, while the Panthers lost to the Bengals 42 to 21. The Falcons referred to form by lose by blowing a late lead and losing to the Chargers, while the Panthers got steamrolled by the Bengals and Cincy. These are the type of games that you know that either team could show up and show out, or show up and get blown out. It's rare when road teams win on the short turnaround. But I am going to go with the road team this time, and I think they have a little bit more predilection to score, as opposed to Carolina, whose offense is a little bit too much scattergun and hit or miss. The pick here is Atlanta. Let's turn to the Sunday game, shall we? Games of November 13th. It's a Fox doubleheader week. Check your local listings for the games that are in your area. Make sure that you check out 506sports.com for an excellent coverage map of the games in your area. We will start out with another international game. This one featuring the 6-3 Seahawks taking on the 4-5 Bucks at Allianz Arena in Munich, Germany. It's a 9.30 a.m. kickoff on NFL Network. The Buccaneers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Seahawks defeated the Cardinals 31-21, while the Buccaneers defeated the Rams 16-13. 
And you know, the Seahawks must have offended someone in the NFL office. They have to travel from Seattle to Munich. But at least they get their bye afterwards and won't have to play till after Thanksgiving. Now, they did look crisp in getting by the cards and now face a Bucks team that may have just saved their playoff chances with a last-minute win over the fading Rams. The Seahawks are able to count on the rugged running of Kenneth Walker III. Geno Smith has my vote for comeback player of the year. The Bucks' offense is hard, aside from their shootout loss to the Chiefs in Week 4, having scored more than 22 points in any single game this season. That's not a formula for winning, facing a, a, facing a Seahawks team that can score and play capable defense. No one is giving the Seahawks much love, and the Bucks are getting a whole lot of leeway from the other, otherwise competent media. Though the Seahawks do have a better record, the Bucks are being treated like a team to be feared, which they aren't. So I'm labeling the upset pick of the week right off the top. The Seattle Seahawks are the Hoodwood upset of the week. Let's go to the games on the mainland, shall we? Let's start out with the 2-6 and six Lions taking on the 3-6 and six Bears. Game being played at Soldier Field in Chicago, 1 p.m. kickoff. On Fox, the Bears are three-point favorites. Last week, the Lions defeated the Packers 15-9, while Bears lost to the Dolphins 35-32. Oh, let me scroll up real quick. I'll edit that out. But continuing. Now, I know you didn't see that coming. No, you didn't. Stop lying. You didn't see that coming. The Lions' sieve-like defense springing a stunning ambush on the Packers. They cheered their fan base, who's been very weary of being picked on by the Pack. Picked by the Pack. Kind of comes out nice. But anyway, they head to the midway to face a Bears team that has found an offensive punch, but is having a devil of time giving back those points. I trust the Bears' offense a little more than I do than the Lions pulling a repeat of their defensive prowess. The pick is Chicago. Next on the docket, we have the 7-1 Vikings taking on the 6-2 Bills. Game being played at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Bills are 7-point favorites. Last week, the Vikings defeated the Commanders and the Bills lost to the Jets, both of them by a 20-17 tally. The Vikings are playing those grinder, slug-it-out games, and they go right down to the wire, which is evidenced by the growing gray in my beard and another last-second escape, this time in D.C., but the curve gets a lot steeper in facing a Bills team that got embarrassed in Gotham and may have caught a case of the look-aheads to this game. I make no secret that I'm a Vikings fan, but I think that they've been living on borrowed time to be honest, and the close games and the Bills' offense is looking to get some get-back, especially at home where they are especially tough. I want so badly to be wrong. I, Lord knows I want to be wrong on this, but I don't think I will be. And it will be interesting if Josh Allen is a no-go because the backup for the Vikings, guy Minnesota fans are very familiar with. His name's Case Keenum. And him and Stephon Diggs may be itching to get a little get-back at their old team. The pick here is Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the two and six Jaguars taking on the six and two Chiefs at GEH Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites. Last week, the Chiefs defeated the Titans 20 to 17 in overtime, while the Jaguars defeated the Raiders 27 to 20. The Jags finally found themselves on the right side of a smiling scoreboard after a snappy rally got them the win over the visiting Raiders. But they'll find no quarter against a Chiefs team that grinded out an ugly win over the Titans. Patrick Mahomes makes it happen for the Chiefs. And at home, they are dynamite. The Jags are still growing, and while they could be a contender soon, it won't happen this week picks Kansas City. Next on the docket, we have three and five Broncos. At the 5-3 Titans, game being played at Nissan Stadium in Nashville, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Titans are three-point favorites. Last week, the Broncos were on their bye, while the Titans lost to the Chiefs 20-17 in overtime. The Broncos are a major disappointment this season, and they will find no quarter against the Titans, especially on the road. The Titans, for their part, are finding out that life without Ryan Tannehill is a little bit more tougher than they thought it was and that he is a vital cog in their offense, more than they thought. That said, Derrick Henry should bounce back strong, 
and be the focal point of the Titans offense and that they should get a solid win. The pick here is Tennessee. Next on the docket, we have the 3-5 Browns taking on the 6-3 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Dolphins are four-point favorites. Last week, the Browns were on their bye while the Dolphins defeated the Bears 35-32. The Dolphins won a wild shootout in the midway and head home where they face an uneven Browns team fresh off their bye, feeling good after unexpected thrashing of their despised downstate divisional rivals in Week 8. That said, the Browns have a number of inconsistencies that have yet to be solved, and the Dolphins are looking sharper every week under the direction of Tua Tagovailoa. The pick here is Miami. Next on the docket, we have the 1-6-1 Texans taking on the 6-2 Giants at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Giants are 6.5-point favorites. Last week, the Titans lost to the Eagles 29-17, while the Giants were on their bye. After losing their, oh, let me cut that here. Both teams come off of long rests. At the Titans, the, not the Titans, try that again. Rewind, start it over. Next on the docket, we have the 1-6-1 Texans taking on the 6-2 Giants at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Giants are six and a half point favorites. Last week, the Texans lost to the Eagles 29-17 while the Giants were on their bye. Both teams are coming off long rests. So when the Texans are still licking their wounds after a home Thursday night thumping by the Eagles, while the G-Men hit their bye week and are still licking their own wounds after getting a sound spanking in Seattle. G-Men are in the mood to play nice. I'll be brief on this, and they will get some get back, as I like to say. The pick here is the New York Giants. Take time out. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green, and let's keep rolling on with the NFL Week 10 picks with the 3 and 5 Saints taking on the 2 and 6 Steelers at Accreasier Stadium in Pittsburgh. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Saints are favored by a point and a half. Last week, the Saints lost to the Ravens 27-13 while the Steelers were on their bye. I'm seriously annoyed that I live in the sliver of the country that is forced to watch this snoozer. Neither team is worth watching. Both offenses are punchless, and both defenses can be had easily. Flip a coin. The Steelers play better at home in cooler climes. The pick here is Pittsburgh. Next on the docket, we start with the late games. 3-5-1 Colts taking on the 2-6 Raiders at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. 4-5 kickoff on CBS. The Raiders are six-point favorites. Last week, the Colts lost to the Patriots 26-3, while the Raiders lost to the Jaguars 27-20. After giving Frank Wright the gate on Monday, the Colts look to start a new era under interim coach Jeff Saturday. And they get a decently easy break against a Raiders team who are still finding new and creative ways to lose. Can Saturday fix 
the Colts' inept offense for a Sunday. Let's see what I said, see what I did there. <laughs> I doubt that he can do that that fast. And the Raiders played much better at home. Though I still think Josh McDaniels is a horrid coach, wasting tons of talent. That said, the Raiders are slightly better. The pick is Las Vegas. Next on the docket, we have the three and six Cardinals taking on the three and five Rams at SoFi Stadium in Englewood, California. Four twenty-five kickoff on Fox. The Rams are three-point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals lost to the Seahawks 31-21, while the Rams lost to the Buccaneers 16-13. Now, the Rams face another playoff rematch and another struggling team in the cards. Can someone be sure to tell Matthew Stafford that he is no longer playing for the Detroit Lions and playing for the Rams now? Though it does look like the Rams are just playing ineptly and enough to lose close games. That said, I don't trust either team very much. I'm going to regret this pick, but I'm thinking that the Cards pull out a stunner on the road where they seem to play better. The pick is Arizona. Next on the docket, we have the 3-6 and six Packers taking on the 6-2 and two Cowboys at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are five-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys were on a bye while the Packers lost to the Lions 15-9. The Pack are crumbling badly, and this is not the time to face the rest of folks who would like nothing more than to run roughshod on an old rival in their crib on national TV. After a humiliating loss to the Lions, the Packers are finding themselves light years out of, out of a playoff spot, much less the top of the NFC North that they're accustomed to. I would really like to say that the Pack will get off the mat in front of their crazy crowd and a national audience and harken back to Gloria days of last year and resuscitate the season. Who am I kidding? I'm enjoying this, to be perfectly honest, watching the once haughty Packers and their fans take loss after loss after loss in games that they once were confident that they would win easily, almost snobbily that they should win. I'll be blunt. The Pokes are the better team, and that on both sides of the ball, period. The Hoodwood Lock of the Week is Dallas. Book it. The Sunday night game is the eight is the five and three Chargers taking on the four and four 49ers at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. 820 kickoff on NBC. The 49ers are seven point favorites. Last week the Chargers defeated the Falcons 20 to 17, while the 49ers were on their bye. I'm really surprised that NBC didn't flex this game. Though there was a tempting Vikings Bills game that's on the docket that they decided not to touch. Both teams are just at 500 or a little bit better. There really isn't that much intrigue in this game, though. And for some reason, I'm still trying to figure out how the Chargers got the first of two straight Sunday night games. After the matchup next week, the Chiefs got flexed into the game that they will have against the Chargers and another marquee Sunday night spot. Go figure. The Chargers' uneven play didn't cost them their game last week, to be sure, while the Niners are still trying to get used to their new offensive toy and the added dimension that Christian McCaffrey brings to their offense. Either way, the matchup really doesn't quicken the pulse outside of anyone outside of 352 miles between the two teams. If at all, I think that the rest of the Niners pull out a grimy win. The pick here is San Francisco. Finally, we have the Monday night game. The 4-5 and five Commanders taking on the 8-0 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, 8-15 kickoff. On ESPN, the Eagles are 11-point favorites. Last week, the Eagles defeated the Texans 29-17, while the Commanders lost to the Vikings 20-17. While the Commanders have played capably in their past four games and had our 3-1 and one in said games, it's been against less than impressive opponents, Vikings uh, excluded. They now have a steep challenge in a nuclear-hot uh, Eagles team that has yet to be seriously challenged in the second half of any of their games. And no, leading by four over the Texans in the third quarter was not a serious challenge. Let's get serious. The Eagles looked bored and they played like it after before pulling away from the Texans. They won't look bored here and are eager to smack around a divisional foe. The pick here is Philadelphia. We have it last week. I went an impressive 10-3 with the lock-in upset both correct overall for the season, 6-3, both on the box and the upstairs. Let's take our final timeout. We'll come back with Hoodwood High Five, Fat Dap, Head Slap, and the final word from the Wood. So, the Hoodwood heads down the stretch after this.
is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. Snuffy's already saying it's hot, hot, hot. So let's just get on to it. New teams in the Hudwood Hot Five. You better believe it. Our number five team is Oregon. The Ducks, 8-1. Of course, they weren't ranked last week. But after a 49-10 win over Colorado, beg your pardon, after 49-10 win over Colorado, they are now 8-1. They are, I think, the best one-loss team in the country. Now, a lot of people sit around and whine and go, oh, well, you got this team, you got that. No. Oregon, yes, they got their backs blown out by Georgia in the first week of the season. But that was ancient history. Since then, Oregon has reeled off eight wins and have looked very dominant in doing so. The next game is at Washington, another good true test against a regional rival. If they can get past them, Utah is on the horizon after that. If they can get past Utah, then you're looking at possible, real possibility of Oregon running the table and getting to the Pac-12 championship game, more than likely against Southern Cal. But that's still a few games down the road. For now, they're the number five team in their Hoodwood Hot Five College poll. The number four team is another new team, TCU. Yes, the Horned Frogs out of Fort Worth, Texas. They are one of four undefeated teams in the country. And after a 34-24 win over Texas Tech, have rightly pushed their way into the top five. Their next game is a big one at Texas. If they can knock off the Longhorns in Austin, that will go miles, miles to establishing their credibility and give them enough uh, chops to be able to stake a rightful claim in the, the final four teams in the college football playoff. Now, you already hear the poo-pooers going, oh, it's the Big 12. There's a lot of candy-ass teams in that conference. But you can't discount 9-0. And especially, there are only four undefeated teams in the country. Take it from me, having seen Cincinnati go undefeated. Going undefeated ain't an easy thing to do. Because the more you win, the bigger the bullseye gets on you. And for a team like TCU... 
they have a huge bullseye because they're not one of the traditional teams. Many people want to write them off as a fluke. I don't. I think they're, they're a good team. Our number three team in the Hoodwood Hot Five is Michigan. Wolverines are 9-0. After having defeated Rutgers 52-17, they have another cupcake in Nebraska. When you ever thought you ever hear somebody say Nebraska being a cupcake? But they're not ready for Michigan. Michigan scores points, a lot of them. They have to take care that they don't overlook past uh, Nebraska to, to a big game against Illinois or look past Illinois to their annual showdown with Ohio State Thanksgiving weekend. But as it stands now, Big Blue is 9-0 and looking fine. Our number two team, and another bit of a shakeup, is Ohio State. Yes, I moved the Buckeyes down. Now, usually, I don't move a team down if they win. But, considering that it was a 21-7 snooze fest in Evanston, yeah, I know it was in a deluge, bad weather situation. But, everyone was talking about how dominant Ohio State is. Why, why isn't Ohio State getting enough credit for being undefeated? Well, if you're going to be undefeated and you're going to set the standard of blowing teams' backs out and you only get by a team 21-7, that's going to cost you a little bit. I'll move them down from 1-2. to two. And our new number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five is Georgia, the Bulldogs, taking on a Tennessee team that came into Sanford Stadium. And Georgia really didn't break a sweat. The score was 27-13, I know. But you have a top five team coming into your crib and you handle them, manhandle them the way the Georgia Bulldogs did. It is really tough to see if the Bulldogs will be challenged their last three games. They go to Kentucky. Uh, before that, they go to Mississippi State. And then they finish with their in-state rival, Georgia Tech, which is a non-conference game, on Thanksgiving weekend. Then they'll have the SEC title game. Now, could that be LSU or Ole Miss that awaits them in Atlanta? Who knows? But right now, that team, Georgia, is still the front runner to make the college football playoff and defend their national title. That's my hot five. What's yours? And now for our Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week. Fat Dap of the Week goes to the Cincinnati Bengals' Joe Mixon, who scored a mind-bending five, count of one, two, three, four, five touchdowns against the Carolina Panthers in a 42-21 route in Cincinnati last Sunday. Uh, Joe Mixon had 211 yards from scrimmage, and his five touchdowns breaks a franchise record which had been held by four different players. And Corey Dillon uh, had scored four touchdowns for the Bengals in 1997. But in addition to the four rushing touchdowns that Mixon had, he also had a receiving touchdown. It was a badly needed tonic for the Bengals, who have been searching for their running game pretty much all season. But Joe Mixon busted out with a big game, and the Carolina Panthers had absolutely no answer for that. And again, in that 42-21 route at Pecor Stadium in Cincinnati last Sunday, Mixon said he felt it from the first carry. And believe you me, the Bengals needed it. Needed that win, and Mixon needed that kind of a big game. Thank Dr. Joe Mixon for having a hell of a day in Cincinnati. Now, our head slap of the week, whereas I was as I was very lighthearted with the fat dap, this is very serious. A head slap going to the Boston Bruins, more likely more namely their general manager, Cam Neely. Now, Neely is someone I greatly respect. Liked him as a player. He's as solid as they come as a, a general manager for the Bruins. But he really swung and missed at this when he tried to sign uh, Mitchell Miller, who is a, uh, a forward that has basically been singled out almost as a pariah for his bullying antics when he was younger, when he bullied a developmentally disabled uh, black uh, classmate, repeatedly taunting him with racial slurs and talking about his uh, development, his uh, disablement, his, his, his disabled status. The thing that I don't get 
is that when he was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes and they basically cut him when they found out about all the stuff, did the Bruins not do their due diligence? Did they not do their homework? Did they not look and say, hey, this guy bullied people and did it with no remorse? But what Cam Neely tried to do was sign this player and stash him on the uh, Providence Bruins, the uh, Boston Bruins top farm club. Well, when he did it, and the, and the media came out with it, there was heavy backlash. And Neely cut Miller pretty quickly. Now, there's been calls for Neely to resign or he should lose his job. I don't think it should go that far. But this player, Miller, should not be able to get in the NHL without some serious atonement, some serious apologizing, some serious make good. Because I'm going to be blunt like that. Shit like that just doesn't fly. Picking on, it, picking on somebody is bad enough. Throwing racial slurs is even worse. But picking on someone who's developmentally disabled and really doesn't have the capacity to fight back, that just makes you low. And a person like that should not be able to make millions of dollars with the kind of history that he's had and not be able to and not have a tone for it. And Cam Neely and the Boston Bruins should have done better due diligence. And the head slap goes to them for which they really should have known better. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. There are a few times that I say Snuffy is as profound. DC deserves better, much better. And the reason I say that is because of the absolute mess that Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders have put themselves in. Daniel Snyder has owned the DC franchise since 1999. He paid, at the time, a record $700 million for the privilege of buying what he can say, he said to his favorite football team. And he had the money, had the chops, and many people decided this young, brash new owner as the avant-garde of the coming wave of young owners in the NFL. Daniel Snyder, over the past 20-some-odd years, has taken a once proud franchise that won three Super Bowls in a matter of about a 10-year span in the early 80s and early 90s and was a continual playoff contender for most of that time and basically run them into the ground. Even running them into the ground, Daniel Snyder is looking at a $6 billion price tag to sell the team. Now, there have been potential owners that have been floated around. Uh, Jeff Bezos, the massively rich owner of Amazon. Jay-Z, the uh, entrepreneurial uh, rapper turned mega executive, music executive, Byron Allen, who I have chronicled here on this forum as the owner of Grio and the uh, a, a number of black media outlets. The NFL would love to have a black owner running one of its more marquee franchises. But the ownership uh, situation is neither here nor there. Who Snyder eventually will sell the team. And he will sell the team. Because the financial chicanery that has been apparent for this team is starting to come to life. And him, Snyder and his wife have tried to quietly employ a financial arm of Bank of America to begin the process of putting this team up for sale. That being said, Daniel Snyder, who at one time said he would, one, never change the team's name, he's changed it, and has said, has said before that he would never sell the team, is now looking to quote-unquote quietly sell the team, which selling the team is not going to be quiet. Selling the team is going to be highly profitable for Snyder. You can imagine someone who has paid 
$700 million for a team and then getting a 700% return on his investment. Snyder's going to walk away with a lot. And I repeat, a lot of money. Of course, all that money is not going to get him on the uh, uh, top of the season ticket list for, for the Washington franchise. They are notoriously long for having a, a season ticket fan base, a fan base and season ticket base that is notoriously long for a wait. That being said, Daniel Snyder has done plenty of things. Financially devious and have created a toxic workplace that many people have openly disparaged and that the NFL is still openly investigating. This is a problem. This is an image problem for the NFL. They cannot continue to tolerate this. And Daniel Snyder, for his part, though he will make out like a bandit, not a black bandit, but a bandit financially secure for the rest of his life from the sale of one of the 32 NFL franchises, which many people have wanted, many people have coveted, but only a handful have ever been able to have. Dale Snyder is going to get booted out of the Billionaire Boys Club, and not a moment too soon. And that is the final word from the wood. With the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time in the Hoodwood is just about done, but I thank you so much again for your visit this week. If you want to send me an email, show the email is regarding Under construction, but it will have a lot of things on it. Video clips, highlights, of course, an uh, archive of the show. Get the podcast on video. Podcast is also on Facebook and Twitter. Audio versions on Spotify, Amazon, Stitch, iMusic, other kinds of podcasts, and providers. If Goodwood is not on your favorite, ask for it. Let them know who got the Goodwood. Let me know. Try our best to get them on Special thanks to Ray Pictures as always for providing production assistance. And that's it. That's all she wrote from the Hoodwood. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.